Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend Dick Foth with us back for another session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into our interview with Joe Epley. Dick, so excited to have you back on the podcast. Thanks a million. Great to be here. Dick, got some questions. Uh, two different listeners um, sent these in. The first one is gen- about gender and gender identity. Um, says it has become a more important topic in the missionary world. Any advice on how to navigate the subject with my ch- my child? You know, one of the things I think quite often is, boy, I I'm glad that our adult children are adult children, and hmm. how do we deal with some of these issues? Because the whole world talk about gender fluidity the whole world is in fluidity about so many things and this is yeah. one yeah it's a big one um here's here's just a scripture that, that i'll just toss out that that we all pretty much know god said let us make man let us make man in our image genesis 126 after our likeness let them have dominion and so forth gets to verse 27 said so god created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It, it's, it's definitive in terms of sex. Uh, it's easy to confuse in the, in the discussion, sex sure. and gender. Uh, sex is a biological term. Uh, it's about biology, anatomy, chromosomes. Gender, if I can say this, and I'm, I'm not a specialist in, in this arena by a long shot, so right. I'm a... My grandfather and great-grandfather thinking, how in the world do we help our kids have these kinds of discussions? Gender is a society set of expectations, standards, and characteristics about how men and women are supposed to act. At least that's Mm. my understanding. So your gender identity, it it reads this way in a fair amount of literature, is how you feel inside and how you express those feelings. So clothing, appearance, Behaviors can all be ways to express your gender identity. Most people feel, if I could put it this way, that they're either male or female. And and we say, we, I think biblically it says, you're either male or female. Some people feel like they're more masculine female and some like more feminine male. But I called a, I called a youth worker friend hmm. who, who has the body of a 30-something and the mind and heart of a middle schooler. And he's tremendous with, with middle schoolers. And he, he talked to me about a thing that people can look this up. It's called body identity integrity disorder. Hmm. And I said, what in the world is that? I mean, I, I understand identity, I think, and I think I understand integrity and disorder. Yeah. And he said, it's, it's it's actual phenomenon where people with such, and this is a, 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 a very exaggerated, well, I don't, I don't know if it's exaggerated, but it's a real example that sometimes people feel things mm. like, well, I shouldn't have my left arm. And they mm. start believing that they don't need the left arm. I mean, it, it obviously, right. it's something that's going on that's pretty, uh, pretty far out there from my perspective. But his approach when somebody, when some young person would come and say, you know, I feel, I know I'm a boy, but I feel like I'm a girl. Yeah. And he, he would say, well, I hear what you're saying, because this is what I, just because this is what I say or feel doesn't make it true about you. Hmm. And 
young people today, I mean, we're in a setting uh, here in Northern Colorado, where there's a university where they have the whole diversity thing in play and as they do around the world, in a lot of places. And the whole pronouns thing yeah. comes into play, you know, am I this pronoun? And right. once in a while, he said, often, well, he said several times in the last couple of months, several young people have come and say, I'd like you to call me by this pronoun, whatever yeah. the pronoun is. And his response to them was, how about this? How about instead of me calling you by that pronoun, I just called you by your name. Would that mm. be all right? Mm. 100% of the people have said yes, mm. these young people. Um, what happens is you can have any assumptions, any set of feelings you want, and find somebody who will identify and will affirm that. Mm. And what you find in schools today is that you have some people who are in a cluster or group of friends, and they're saying what you're saying about yourself isn't true. That's mm. what they're saying to their yeah. to the friend who's saying right. this or the other. But when they go to class, the 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 teachers yeah. absolutely affirm wherever they are. And so you have this tension built up. And if you, his comment was if you only have friends who affirm everything that you think or say or believe, they're not a friend. Mm. If, they, if they don't challenge you at some point. And he said, what we have found is that you need a Jesus-centered community that gives you truth in love. So mm. for the parent who's trying to explain this, first of all, we need to understand, the parent needs to understand what they think yeah. as biblically as they can be about this and help guide children. So I asked him, do you have a book of any kind? Yeah. And there's a gentleman in this area connected with the university by the name of Preston Sprinkle. Okay. And and it's called The People to Be Loved. Hmm. And it's his walking through scripture, looking at sexual identity and all of that. And I'm sure it doesn't answer every question that somebody could ask, but I think it might give a parent a place to start. It can yeah. be downloaded from Amazon. The People awesome. to Be Loved by Preston Sprinkle. For sure. That, well, that's, that's probably the single most challenging question I think in our culture then can be asked. That's way about politics and all the other yeah. stuff. I appreciate it, Dick. We'll put the the link to that book um, in the show notes and then the listeners can get it. It's a, a challenging question, but I, I appreciate you taking the, 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 we're providing this wisdom and insight in on it. The second question, Dick, is kind of different listener, but kind of, I paired these two together. Um, it says as an MK and president of a college, have you experienced the challenge of trying to find identity beyond being an MK or, or seen others struggling with this? Well, my MK experience was a long time ago, Yeah, but it was in my formative years. And I may have romanticized it because I was just a little guy. You know? Yeah. It was in my earliest elementary school years. But when, when I find a fair amount of identity with, with being an MK in, in this way, we were in India, post-war years, challenging times uh, economically, food-wise, uh, school-wise, and huge upheaval in the subcontinent. You know, it, yeah. I watched the Empire March out of India when I was six or five. Um, two positive takeaways I have from being an MK 
is that life is an adventure. I mean, mm. the, I tell I tell missionary kids, you know, your parents have wherever it is. It could be Europe. It could be it's the whole third culture kid thing. Yeah. But I said, you have an opportunity to learn stuff that most of us here in the States have no chance to learn. So yeah. it's a, I see it as an adventure. Second thing is, and this comes back to my suspend your categories piece, yeah. that different is not to be feared. I think quite possibly I was able to work easily in Washington, D.C. with all of those cultures, literally from around the world, 160 embassies, all that, Um, in part because I'd spent some years in India as a kid. I've never thought about that till this moment, but maybe that's part of it. And But depending on personality, a, a child, a young person, is affected in different ways. As a college president, I saw it this way. I saw... I tended to see both ends of the spectrum. If there's a spectrum from, I love being an MK, I want to go back there, and to I hate it, I it killed me, I'm, I'm never doing that again. You hmm. tended to see one or the other ends. Either hmm. I'm really for it or I'm really against it, and hardly anything in the middle. Hmm. Uh, because I think either the, the, the young person embraced it or they yeah. got hurt by it. You know, Paul Young's book, The Shack, yeah. came out of him being in New Guinea yeah. or Indonesia, as we call it today, and and being abused by the natives and then goes to boarding school, gets abused again. So, you know, yeah. that kind of missionary experience is not high on his list. But um, I think if the young person is involved with their parents in whatever the work is, yeah. if, if it's Bible college work or if the person's traveling, having it that's a bit more challenging than if they're in the medical work or some right. other thing. Um, but if they see the work as being beneficial, if there's discussion about why are we here and doing this and, and understanding that they can have an awareness and interest in the world that so many other young people don't. Um, then I think, then I think that's a really a positive. It was just in the last few years, my brother-in-law, Terryman, who pastors in his early 70s, um, we were chatting, and we're similar in a lot of ways. And we married these two sisters right, yeah. who are similar in a lot of ways. And we were chatting, and I said something, and he said, you know, maybe you said that because um, both of us are MKs. <clears throat> and I forgot that he, when he was a little boy, his, his parents went as missionaries to Japan. Wow. Lived in a village. And we, when I was a little boy, went to India. And we had never really talked about that. But as we hmm. talked about that commonality, it helped us understand each other. Yeah. Right? Because, so anyway, that's my cool. that's my take on the MK trip. Very cool. Very cool. Dick, always enjoy spending time with you and uh, answering the listeners' questions. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Joe Epley and uh, just a fascinating, insightful time with him. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings. Welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with Joe Epley. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you doing, Aaron? I am doing well here on a nice evening in Nairobi, and it's great to see you in Montana. So it's exciting. It's exciting. Joe, could you just go take a few minutes and just share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, I am an Assemblies of God minister in Southeast Montana. I was born and raised in Montana. Um, and I got saved in my kind of middle school time, you know, uh, definitely, um, 
yeah, kind of searching for meaning in life, searching for that, that what, what it was that felt real. And, and obviously, you know, you get kind of excited about, about God and about Jesus. And it really took off for me. And I would say about a year after I got saved, I got called into the ministry, um, specifically focusing on youth ministry. And then at the age of 21, I moved out to a small town in Montana. I was originally from Billings, which is not huge by a lot of standards, but uh, it was about 150,000 people in the area. And I moved to a town of 1,200 uh, in rural Montana. And so that definitely was a culture shock. Uh, Not as many things were open, and it definitely took me some time to get used to. But I spent the last uh, eight and a half years doing youth ministry in southeastern Montana. And then recently... Uh, I have transitioned to kind of more of a role as an associate and have started to kind of mentor other younger leaders in our church because we have several kind of different community outposts. Our church runs a coffee shop, runs a youth center. Uh, and so mentoring people into those roles has been really fun for me. And that's been what I've been doing the last, uh, gosh, uh, just about six months. And so uh, it's been a lot of fun, but that's a little bit about myself. So Very cool. Very cool. What's one exciting thing about growing up in Montana? Uh, you know, I took for granted my whole life that um, they called it, you know, the big sky state in a sense. And uh, one of the things that I think is pretty cool is uh, there is just such natural beauty in Montana and it's all over. I obviously grew up, as a lot of people do, recognizing Montana by Glacier National Park and by the mountains and by these heavily wooded, you know, places. And it's great and tons of hiking. And then I moved out to eastern Montana, which is flat. I mean, it's just wow. plains. And and my wife had to teach me. She's from eastern Montana. Um, I married the pastor's daughter at the church I moved to in Baker, and we have two beautiful little girls. But um, she taught me how to appreciate uh, the sunset over the plains because it's just wow. such a beautiful wide sky. And so I've really enjoyed all different flavors, I guess, of Montana's natural beauty. So Very cool. Very cool. Well, Joe, our friend Nate Lashway, um, he shared that you had presented something at the network conference um, on a specific topic of gender. And um, he said, hey, you need to get in contact with with Joe. It was it, he said it was challenging, it was insightful, and he it was very valuable for him. So that's how I got connected with you. So we thank Nate for making the connection. Um, but can you share just how you came about this passion or this genesis? Where did it start for you, this passion on the subject of gender? and the importance of it. Yeah. And, uh, I would say it's, it's, uh, kind of a double and I'm sure we'll alternate throughout the podcast, but, but when you talk about the conversation, especially in the church world around gender, you always reference the word, well, it's, it's about sexuality. Some days it's about gender. Some days it's about how those two interact. And, and, um, really it, it came from probably in, in my opinion, one of the healthiest places where, um, it was a few years into my youth ministry and I started to encounter students, even in small town Montana, who were openly struggling in the area of gender and sexuality. And I, I feel like I'm a good youth pastor. I felt, you know, of course you're confident in your own abilities. And yet in that moment, I felt woefully ill-prepared. I was just like, man, here's a problem that I do not know how to tackle. And so um, at the time, Trinity Bible college here in the U S over in North Dakota, one of our AG Bible colleges um, had uh, a program that was a master's degree in missional leadership. And they let you kind of pick a thesis on whatever you wanted. And I, um, and I remember thinking, man, I would love to be more equipped to handle uh, what my students have going on. And so really it wasn't anything, you know, I wasn't looking to have answers. I wasn't really looking in a sense of like, I wasn't looking to become a voice on anything. I didn't start by saying, Hey, let me, let me really champion. And it is an uncomfortable topic. I mean, I wasn't super excited at all to to dive in because it's very intimidating, Sure. but ultimately I had, a couple students right in front of me who were hurting, who were confused. And I said, man, 
if if not me, then who? If not their youth pastor, then who is going to dive into this this confusing conversation with them? And uh, a couple years and about thirty thousand dollars of my wife's money later, because she definitely makes more than my <laughs> pastor's salary. Um, but uh, I had a master's degree, and I had maybe the beginning of those answers. And so it really was just a passion for how can I help students, and then it's grown since then into how can I help people, how can I help churches in what's looking to be, you know, a conversation for the church world that's not slowing down anytime soon. So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely, definitely true. Um, on our phone conversation, we talked a little bit before uh, and setting this process up. One of the things that it jumped out to me, I, I think I said either gender identity or sexual identity, and you helped me guide me through that. Before we jump into some questions, can you share what the, is there a difference between the two or how can we understand that those before we jump into some questions? Yeah, and that's uh, that's an important understanding. Great question. Um, I think for sure um, it's, it's a daunting task because sometimes these things overlap, sometimes they don't. And um, if you've ever met anybody who happens to be on what we might label the LGBTQ spectrum, if you will, um, it can be really hard to figure out what's going on. Every story is different. Every person is different. And so sexual identity um, tends to, and it might even be referred to as sexual orientation, it uh, tends to, you know, talk about the romantic. Are you a man who's attracted to a woman, which we would call heterosexual? Um, are you a man attracted to man, woman attracted to woman, et cetera? And so it's just kind of who who do you love in a sense? And so, um, and there's people, again, on all parts of that spectrum, um, probably even more than we have time to get into on this podcast. And then gender identity specifically refers to what's your perception of yourself? Um Part of this conversation has been growing over the years is that sexuality, a.k.a. biological sex, you know, we were born male, we were born female, uh, has kind of been separated from our concept of gender. And so now people will say, well, yes, I'm biologically male, but I identify as a female or uh, the opposite can happen. Or somebody will say, hey, I don't really like that system at all. And they'll say, I do not want to be gendered. I would rather be uh, not labeled with that. And And obviously, again, uh, some of some of the listeners are probably already going, man, this this is this is this is a lot. And it is, you know, yeah. it, it really is a big conversation and we could get into a lot more what those letters mean and stuff. But I think for for now, we can just kind of clarify sexual orientation is who, who are you attracted to physically or lack thereof. And then gender would be a lot more along the lines of, hey, how do I see myself in a sense of how do I identify myself and you get into the conversation of pronouns and and am I male or female or do I reject that system entirely? And so that's kind of again setting up those main parameters. Yeah. That's excellent. Excellent. And so you, you've kind of alluded to it already. This is a complex um subject and it, it's challenging. It's a challenging subject of our day. I think my natural tendency is to want to move away from it because it it takes a lot of mental energy for me to try to understand. It takes a lot of mental energy for me to to try to wrap my mind around it. And I've just found in my life things that take a lot of energy, I tried, I drift away from. But the other thing you said that really caught my attention as I prayed about this interview um, this evening was you said this is also a great opportunity. And it is challenging. It is complex complex, but there's, it's a phenomenal op with uh, opportunity for us. Can you just share how that, how you, you've come to that, that um, determination that it's so complex, it's challenging, but also there's great possibility there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely think that uh, 
obviously on the on the front of challenging, it is a huge subject, and it's one that's not exactly closed book. It would be really nice if I could point you to a one volume manual that said, "Here's everything you're ever going to need to know." about the current conversation about sexual and gender identity, right? That would be great if there was just this nice, neat, maybe it was in one podcast, maybe it was in one sermon series, but it's not. And I even found myself, so I did a master's degree, and that involved me reading probably 40 books, conducting some interviews, reading some articles. And then I got done with my master's degree, and six months down the road, I found myself trying to read more books and and read more articles because it's such an evolving conversation. And even words that were okay 10 years ago regarding this conversation are now becoming taboo or or going out of style for for more nuanced words and more complex issues. Um, And so, of course, I find myself – there are probably certain days where I find myself on that spectrum of, man, I just like to wash my hands and be done with it. Um, But here's why I believe that, one, we probably shouldn't do that, and two, um, why this is such a great atmosphere of hope and possibility. Um, First of all, it makes me think of the nature of the church. You know, uh, we are at a crossroads in a lot of places in the world today with how the church, how the Christian church is viewed. And um, a lot of times we're viewed as behind the times, reactive, um, closed-minded even, depending on your cultural context. I'm sure there's a whole host of other things that could apply to that. But I know that here in the States especially, um, religions frowned upon in a lot of ways, and it's it's becoming a less and less biblical culture in terms of even people's familiarity with it. And so in the face of that maybe oncoming wave of, of disregard, disdain, or even irrelevance by some people, we have a chance to really speak. And I think that if we do the work now, to have these tough conversations, we we become a church that's okay with talking about it. And then when we're dealing with 21st century people, people who are living through this today, who are going to have these complex questions, then we're not caught flat-footed. We say, yeah, we are a church that's okay with living in a complex time. You know, I uh, hmm. I think of uh, a, a Lord of the Rings quote, and I probably misquoted, but uh, um, and maybe you're familiar with Lord of the Rings or not, but but if you aren't, it's a, it's a story of this epic journey and, and et cetera. And the, and the main, you know, wizened elder figure Gandalf says to the young, impressionable adventurer uh, Frodo, he says, uh, a lot of people wish that they weren't born in times like these. These are difficult times. And yet, you know, these are the times that we're, we're meant for in a sense. And I'm probably misquoting that. I don't want to maybe directly, but but the point is, is that like, it is daunting. And of course we would wish that maybe, We've been born in a different time when these questions weren't questions, and yet here we are. The second reason I believe that there's a huge possibility here is because of my underlying belief in the Holy Spirit, right? Um, I think it's easy to take for granted the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives in terms of helping us do our day-to-day lives and in terms of helping us in prayer and and do the work of the Lord. Um, But I don't want us to underestimate the Holy Spirit's presence in this cultural moment. Um, I know it sounds cliche, but nothing has surprised God yet. And so one of the things I do every day that helps me is I wake up and say, God, whatever problems arise today, I know the Holy Spirit's already there. I know that he is already involved. I know that he is already ready. And in a larger sense, in the global church, it's true as well. Like God is prepared for this moment. He's raising up voices for as many smart arguments and smart conversations that come from, let's label it, you know, quote unquote, the other side of this issue. Um, God is raising up thinkers and leaders and believers and prayer warriors and people who are ready to handle this issue. And we can kind of become part of that solution. And finally on this, the reason I believe there's hope is because um, the church of God has handled far worse than this, far, far more intense times, far more challenging situations. I have called after even a brief study of church history, I have called the church 
uh, my favorite weed, actually, because dandelions, <laughs> any weed in any cultural context, it grows anywhere. You find a crack in the sidewalk or a shallow bit of soil that's in between. Who knows? I'm in a garbage dump and an oil spill, and you will still find a weed growing in weird places. And the gospel is kind of like that, like governments, world systems, countries, history over 2000 years has tried to stamp out the church and it hasn't succeeded yet. So my heart tells me not only is God going to meet us here, but we have survived so far and we will continue to thrive. Like nothing can take out the gospel. And so that's, that's a few of the reasons that I have maybe a lot of optimism about the future. And so I'm thinking listeners that are listening in and you mentioned, um, that we have the opportunity to to do our homework and to be ready for this conversation. If someone say, hey, I don't even want to have the conversation because, uh, you know, I don't agree with this. And I think if I have this conversation that it's I'm compromising what I believe. How how would you respond to somebody that that maybe that that's their thinking at the present time? Sure, absolutely. Um, one, I would say I sympathize um, there. There's definitely a part of me that wants to say, hey, um, the Bible's talked about this. It's pretty clear and let's move on. And that would be nice. Um, but again, uh, and, and this is, let's call this a loving pushback. Okay. Cause it, and anyone listening, I don't want to just say, Hey, uh, suck it up and get over it. Cause that sounds a little rude, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I genuinely, that's why I want to start by saying I sympathize because again, this is a huge struggle and there are days, there are myriad days where I'm just like, I don't even really want to deal with this anymore. But, but my, my first thing is, um, one, we are living in an age where information is readily available. And so, um, and not just students for everybody. If, if I don't like an answer someone gives, I can find 10 different explanations on that same answer. And so, so if we don't speak to it, our silence will be replaced by heretical voices, by, oh, by voices that are working aggressively that's to good. champion a different way to interpret scriptures that is more pro on this subject than against. And, and so it's hard for me when people say, Hey, I don't want to deal with it. I'm like, yes, I agree. But if we don't, who will? And the answer yeah. to that is voices that we don't agree with. So, so it's almost like, if we do try, we'll save some. And if we don't try, we certainly won't get any in mm. a sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and I don't want to, and I don't want to find ourselves in that place. I'd, I'd much yeah. rather, again, put in some of that work, put in some of that effort. And, and again, it's, it's kind of like uh, standing at the edge of it and going, Hey, um, this feels too big. And I'm like, I agree, but there's ways to make it smaller. There's ways to, you know, do some introductory conversations and they're not the worst. And, and as far as compromise, um, I think that we have to understand uh, the word that comes to mind, and we can get into this more if you want, but the word is incarnational. Um, I think that there's there's a sense in which we serve the model of our faith is Jesus, obviously the founder of our faith is Jesus, and he modeled incarnational ministry. You know, he didn't sit up in heaven and say, well, why don't we just send him a message in the clouds that says, here's how to get saved. He lived among impoverished people. He engaged tax collectors and sinners, and he embraced controversy. And you say, well, that sounds a little heretical. I'm just saying what the scriptures say. He yeah. sat down in rooms with tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes, and he was willing to look covered in mud because he knew that those who were also dirty needed help. Hmm. And uh, one of the things that I've encountered already in this conversation is I have been slandered. You know, I've had people say, Joe, you're walking too close to the fire. And um, and I get that concern. But here's my problem is if everyone's standing 200 feet away, those who are drowning, you know, 200 hmm. feet offshore are going to have nobody. And I'd rather risk a little bit of my reputation 
to, to be able to engage those who are, again, feeling the pain of this, feeling the struggle of this, feeling alone in this, and, and wondering if the church has any answers. That's good. That's good. I just want to pause for 30 seconds in the middle of this episode to share some exciting news about the book I published, A Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World. It's available now on Amazon and audiobook, Kindle, and print form. And the book helps us recognize that our world is moving in a direction of an uncaring life and helps us reorient towards a caring life where those that are in our life feel valued, they feel known, they know that they belong, and they matter. The book, as I said, is, is a valuable resource and I believe will help change the trajectory of an uncaring world. It's available now on Amazon. So, Joe, the majority of the listeners to this podcast, it's probably 75-25. So 75% would be missionaries serving around the world. Um, and so you would think, hey, that doesn't exist in Africa, or hey, that doesn't this this challenge is not going to be there. This subject's not going to come up in a school, and you name a, a country. But the reality of it is, and um, our our missionary kids and our families, it's a subject. I know in in our in our household, it's been a subject that we've sat around the dim, dinner table and talked about. Um, but at the same time, it's it's it has been a challenge for for me to understand and um, not to cut off the conversation and to try to hear what my my kids are sharing and what they're hearing at, at school and what their friends are sharing and walking through that. Um, how how can we, what is the wisdom and insight do you have for maybe parents like me that want to engage their children in this conversation, not cut them off and listen to them and, and to do it in a wise way? Do you have any suggestions for us? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I would say, first of all, um, we have to break down a few of our own mental barriers, and these are well-crafted, well-placed mental barriers, and they're important, and they serve a purpose. Um, but we have to break them down just a little, okay? Because on a subject like this, uh, again, it kind of goes back to what I already said, but if if you're not going to engage, they will find the information. They already have the information. They don't need you to get the information, and a lot of the voices that they are going to find are going to be contrary to what we call sound doctrine, to the traditional view on scripture. A lot of these things are going to happen regardless. And so, um, excuse me, one of the main encouragements I have is um, you mentioned the word listening. I think listening is important. Um, and I, But I think that when we, we do listening, we kind of have to have a skilled approach to listening, an intentional approach to listening. Um, sometimes we listen dismissively and we listen with the aim of saying, Hey, I hear what you're saying, but I really want to tell you about this biblical truth, um, so that we can kind of move on. Uh, or we listen fearfully and we let our reactions, whether they be discussed fear. Uh, I have a, my lead pastor is 57 years old and, uh, he was raised in Montana and I asked him, I said, Hey, um, when you were in high school, what kind of conversations did you have about this? And he kind of just stared at me silently. And he said, yeah, that's, that's about it. You know, hmm. you know, because he was raised at a time yeah. where this was not even a conversation. And he said, you didn't even, st-. he told me, you know, pretty casually, he said, you didn't even stick up for, you know, let's, let's call him an LGBTQ individual because then you would be labeled that way. And, and it was just a totally different time, totally different culture. And so, um, so to have to have the conversation is already uh, fearful enough and it brings with it um, feelings, feelings of disgust, feelings of fear, feelings of overwhelm, feelings of, man, I just don't like this feelings if I prefer not to be here. And uh, my wife says it most succinctly when she says, fix your face. 
Um, because sometimes when we have conversations, uh, they can read when we're already pre-shut down, when we're already just waiting, they can read those signals. And so one of it is intentional listening. Um, and two, the mental barriers I talked about, one of them is, um, we have to get over the fact that listening does not create compromise. Um, Mm. they're not the same thing. Mm. And so some people have already said, Hey, I don't, I don't even want to listen to the conversation because I'm afraid that by doing so, I, I have already compromised my morals. And I'm like, I understand that. And obviously there's a lot of ways I'm not. So, so don't hear what I'm not saying, right? I'm not saying uh, you should encourage your kids to take in any kind of input they want. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you should make sure that your home always has the right and the wrong available, again, readily available for your children. What I am saying is as adult, mature believers who are grounded and founded in our faith in the Lord, we should be able to hear a perspective we don't agree with without feeling like we've just suddenly whoosh compromised. Hmm. Um, for example, there was a girl in my youth ministry who opened up to me and said, Hey, I don't feel like I'm a girl. I feel like I'm actually a guy. Um, and that was the beginning of kind of these conversations. And one day I just asked her point blank. I said, Hey, uh, what's it like to live in your head? What does that feel like for you? Um, and she opened up to me and said, man, it feels like I'm at war with myself. It feels like I'm just having kind of these struggles and these problems and, and really like elaborated. Now I didn't walk away from that conversation any less right by my God. Instead, I just grew more compassionate Hmm. and I grew more uh, willing to, to at least hear, because again, even if, even if your end goal is not to agree, people will not engage you if they don't feel heard. Uh, And we could get into all sorts of generational theories, But um, one of the things we know about people, let's say age 30 and under, even age 18 and under, is uh, if they perceive their voice as not being heard, whether you agree or not, they will shut down. They just Mm -hmm. don't care. Like Because there are myriad contexts ready where they're going to be heard and agreed with. And so so that active listening part, I think, is the first thing. And it's it's a lot about tone, right? It's also – and let's talk parents to children – it's a lot about um, ways to say things where you could say, man, I'm afraid that they're going to go down this route because they're asking questions about it. And so we react with a strong arm and say, we're not going to talk about this anymore. And we bang our fist on the table or we say, hey, uh, read this book. And then we kind of, you know, don't engage it. You know, it's like the the weirdest puberty talk that no one ever had with anybody. You know, it's just right. here, read this book and you'll figure it out. And it's like, well, that's yeah. not that's not active. That's not proactive. So instead, we can start to say things like this. They bring up a topic, super uncomfortable. And you say, hey, um, why don't you tell me, you know, everything that's in your mind? Can I, I just want to sit and listen. So, so I make sure I understand you fully. And what you're doing is you're giving them room to talk. You're not agreeing with anything. You're just saying, hey, I want to make sure I understand you fully. And maybe in that moment, you don't have answers. So own up to it. Say, hey, what you said today, man, it gave me a lot to think about. And now I'm not saying you've committed to agreeing to anything, but it is hmm. a lot to think about. Hmm. So you say, man, I'd love to take some time and pray about that. And let's have another conversation about this in a couple of days. I would just love that. Thank you. I, I always thank students, anybody under the age 18, if they say something to me, I say, hey, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I really appreciate hearing your perspectives and hearing your heart. And I want to walk through this struggle with you. Hmm. You know, and so you you change your language from combative, from fear-based, which this is hard to do. I have rehearsed even a couple of times in my own head. My daughter's only four years old. One of my oldest daughters is only four. And I still have these these concerns on me. What if I ever have to have this conversation? What would that look like? I get there's fear, but a lot of times it's, it involves listening. It involves that conversation of, of, Hey, how can we just deescalate our own feelings uh, long enough to let them be heard? Because often what's going to happen is um, they're going to share, they're going to get it off their chest. 
And then you're going to get the opportunity to kind of bring in some sound wisdom. You don't have to do it in the moment. You don't have to have the answer right there, but you still get to parent. You still get to kind of have that moment with them, but it's just off the back of maybe a softer tone and a slower approach. And, and I promise you it, it, it's counterintuitive, but you do that and you're going to have way less moments where someone says, well, I don't even want to listen to you anymore. Instead, you're going to find that camaraderie, that companionship, that, that willingness to walk together with a younger person. That's good. You know, I was challenged over the summer. I was listening to a podcast and in the podcast, the, the person shared and they had been a missionary in a different part of the world. And they said, you know, when I lived there, I didn't need to come at every conversation telling the people I was there to share the gospel with. I didn't have to come into those conversations, tell them I didn't believe the way they believed or I didn't see the world the way they saw the world. Um, and he said, you know, I've really been convicted when it comes to gender and sexuality. Before, I thought that I needed to begin every conversation telling someone, this is the reasons I don't agree with you. But he said he was really convicted in the sense that, you know, he when it was cross-cultural, he was doing that, reaching out. He didn't do it that. But then when it came to this subject, he did. And it challenged me right. because it, it made me realize when it came to this specific subject, I felt like I had to tell from, number one, I don't agree with you. Here are the reasons why. And then, hey, let's have an open conversation. But I'm going to tell you first, I don't agree with you. Well, obviously, right. that shuts it down. And there's not um, going to be open conversation. Um, but it's, well, it's honestly, been, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, ahead, as missionaries, too. Uh, the kicker is, is that missionaries are already trained in cross. It's like you said, yeah. like cross-cultural ministry is already kind of in the DNA yeah. of how missionaries work. And this is just another culture. Like yeah. LGBTQ, even youth could be labeled another culture. We are cross-cultural missionaries. Yeah. I've defined youth ministry these days as cross-cultural missionary. I'm only 30 years old. I'm only out of youth stage, about 12 years. And I still feel like I'm reaching across the aisle to a foreign, ever-changing culture. And that's something that we approach with the same seriousness as anything else. There's language study, there's customs, yeah. there's culture, there's these taboos that we have to walk through. And I, and I sometimes uh, it's it's just like you said. Uh, sometimes I I kind of preach and feel that conviction of like, man, we are so intent on making sure we fully understand cultures of differing religions and differing ideas. But then when it comes to this, we're like, how dare we engage? And I'm like, well, shouldn't we though? <laughs> like, shouldn't that shouldn't that same thing kind of pop up? Yeah. Yeah. But, it's, it's, it's been challenging. And honestly, since this summer, I, yeah, it's just been, it's my mind is, um, the Holy Spirit's been working on me and, um, yeah. So, so what are some areas that you think that maybe the church has gotten right concerning gender and sexuality and identity or some things that we've gotten right? Yeah. Um, I would say so. I mean, you have to look at any system and you can't just say, man, we, we stink at this, you know, that would be, that would be the worst, but, uh, but no, I genuinely think, uh, when I think about, uh, the gender and sexuality conversation, um, it is a mixed bag though, because I would say big church, you know, the capital C is definitely, uh, there's a lot you've gotten right. And yet it is different place to place, context to context. But one of the things I've noticed, or maybe I could put it this way, when I see churches getting it right, cause there's not always churches getting it right. When I see churches getting it right, they're usually marked by, uh, high relational like capacity. And what I mean by that is um, I like to think of this conversation and any conversation, you could use this subject, you could use anything else as a weight. You know, it's just, it's, it's a big something. Yeah. Does the bridge of the relationship that you formed with any individual have the capacity to bear the weight of that conversation? Hmm. And, 
And that's, and that's a huge conversation because again, these two students in particular, one guy, one girl um, that I started my thesis for, I had been their youth pastors, spending time with them every week, going to camps with them, praying with them, hearing their struggles for years. And the thing about it is, is uh, in that moment that we kind of had to have this come to a head, had to had to draw some hard lines, had to bring them back to scripture. They stayed in the church because I had a relationship, because they knew that deep down we disagreed and yet we cared. Hmm. And a lot of what you're going to find about people, quote unquote, doing it right, is they'll say things like, yeah, I have friends who identify as LGBTQ. They know where I stand and yet they're still willing to go to coffee with me. But how do you do that? You create mutual respect. You do as much listening as you do telling. You do conversations with grace. I tell people, and, and again, this might flip the paradigm a little, but it's 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 intended to. Um, I tell people, I've even preached it this way. I said, man, I wish I could make the Bible say something else. Hmm. And I've said that to even LGBTQ individuals. I'm like, man, I wish. Why? Hmm. Because I'm not compromising, but I am acknowledging that this is a painful, hard truth. Here's the thing. I, I identify as heterosexual, obviously, like I have a wife and two kids. And so as far as what we've considered the norm for thousands of years, I'm kind of that, that token guy, you know, I will never have to have a church tell me that I'm not allowed to get married Hmm. and still honor God. I will Hmm. never, never have trouble picking between a men and a women's Bible study because I don't identify with either gender. Hmm. I will never feel ostracized or excluded on those subjects. I will never be the subject of a sideways glance. I will never have people casually reference it from the pulpit and say that my sin is this big clobber sin that all of society should be concerned about. I will never walk through that. Mm. And I think that when we have mutually respecting relationships, we do as much listening. A lot of times when you find the church, quote unquote, doing it right, they're at least willing to engage, willing to have conversation and willing to maybe acknowledge the pain of other people. I'm I'm not compromised. I have a friend who's really close who's super pro LGBTQ, about as much as they come. And um and this individual will look at me and say, "Hey, why are we such good friends?" I'm like, "I don't really know. We disagree on a lot of things." <laughs> and she knows that, and I know yeah. that. And yet I'm not getting up and saying, "Well, you're an abomination." I mean, sure, we could quote scripture after scripture, but but these messages are meant to bring life. They're not meant to be a club to beat people over the head with. Hmm. And I think that that walking in with that understanding, um, it creates a lot more. So when I, so it creates a lot more camaraderie, a lot more open conversation. So when I think of churches doing it right, the main factor I find is that even though they're standing on truth, they're doing it in a way that's grace filled. That's in a way that's almost just careful. It's just gentleness, right? It's just that ability to share truth without using it dismissively. Um, nothing hurts more than power misapplied. You know, uh, it, it, we've all done this pastorally or heard this pastorally, but, but, uh, you know, it's, it's using a bazooka to take out a mosquito sized problem. You could break somebody. Yeah. And with this conversation, sometimes we have thrown it out and said, well, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And we act like we just like, we gloss over someone's very real struggle. I mean, they might be suicidal. They might've, you might've been their last lifeline for maybe a, a gentle conversation and we dismiss and it changes the way you preach. You can't learn stories of people without changing your tone, without changing the way you interact. Now, now, granted, a lot of people have gone on that journey to understand and actually change their beliefs. And that's mm. not exactly the approach I'm advocating for. But that's why it takes mature, faithful Christian believers to be willing to engage. Mm. You know, and so so I think when I see churches doing it right, um, I see churches that are actively listening 
and churches that are doing their homework. Um, if I told you right now, I said, you know, the Bible uh, supports uh, the traditional view on marriage, sexuality, and gender. You know, the Bible supports two genders and no more. It supports heterosexual in terms of man and fe- you know, male and female. It was pretty clear from the beginning, pretty clear throughout. Well, guess what? I can now in great confidence say, actually, you know, I've read the Bible and from cover to cover, it actually supports, maybe it doesn't support, uh, you know, these kind of uh, power imbalance versions of these relationships, but a monogamous, healthy, loving homosexual relationship is something the Bible fully supports. And people listening might say that's impossible. And I'm like, okay, but people are saying it and they're backing it up with what appears to be facts, what appears to be scholarship, what appears to be digging. And my question is, are we willing to do the hard homework to have theological conversations, because again, the era of, I would like to just set it and forget it. God made us, you know, I've heard people say it all over the, the place, you know, that, that Adam and Steve quote that I casually right. mentioned, or God, or saying, uh, God settled it at Sodom and Gomorrah, or, you know, I'll, Paul made it pretty clear, or, you know, like we say these things, but these things are being taken for granted in a society and in a world that no longer takes them for granted. And I promise you, that for every time you've referenced a passage and said it couldn't be any clearer, there are people working equally as hard to say it couldn't be any clearer towards the opposite. And that might wow. surprise you, but it still begs the question, what are we doing with our scholarship? Are we trying to do the hard work of contextualizing the scriptures, of digging deep? And you say, well, that sounds like a lot of work. Yes. But if not us, then who? Yeah. And it doesn't mean we have to be experts in this, but we have to be proficient You know, like we don't have to, we don't have to make this our whole thing, but we might need to at least be aware of some of the, you know, not every pastor, not every mission, not everybody's a counselor, but we should at least know some of those basics. That's good. You know, not everyone's a licensed medical person, but we should at least maybe be able to help someone through depression. You know, like, like we should try because it's, it's tools of our trade. This is a conversation. It's not going away. So when I see churches doing it right, I see good scholarship. Um, not taking those biblical truths for granted, even as they solidly defend them. And I see um, active engagement, active listening. So those are two things that I think is huge. Yeah. And so I guess that probably leads into the things that we need to grow in. Is there some, you've talked about the scholarship and active listening, or would that be the things you think we need to grow in in those two areas or the other other things you think? Yeah. And I, I would say for sure those, because obviously everything we do well, there's a flip side where maybe if we don't do it well, it's a, it's a problem, you know, but um, but another thing I would say, um, as far as an area to grow, um, is I think, I think it could be a lot of things. Um, I think one, when we're crafting leadership teams, we need to make sure that we're thorough. Uh, a lot of people that maybe have served faithfully for years might have different opinions on this now than when they first started. And so as pastors, we need to, and, and leaders in churches, we need to be creating culture that um, checks in with its leaders, checks in with its volunteers, checks in with whoever it's working with, because because these beliefs are changing rapidly. And one thing I've noticed is that it's almost as if we wake up one day and go, wait a second, all these volunteers, all these lay leaders around me that I thought were rock solid are not. And so as pastors, as leaders, we need to be creating culture um, that kind of checks in and says, hey, here's our core values and and here's what we believe and here's why and here's why it's so important. Are you still on that path? How are we creating those conversational moments? Um, I think pulpit ministry is huge. Um, I'll I'll just be pretty blunt. Um, LGBTQ is a really easy scapegoat for a lot of other problems. And I have heard so many pastors um, just say from the pulpit, you know, the signs of our times, it's the gays and their agenda. 
you know, and we talk about Hmm. this as if it's the only wrong thing we've ever dealt with. Hmm. Um, And I'll just be really honest, like I'm kind of over it, you know, like one, because those kind of triumphant statements, they're very comforting for Christians to hear, but they're very damning for non-Christians to hear. And you say, well, Hmm. well, shouldn't we be talking about conviction of sin? I'm like, yes, but as one among many, not as the end all be all. Um, and last I checked, there's only six entire verses in the entire Bible that deal with the issue of homosexuality. Six. Hmm. There's a lot more that deal with heterosexual sin, that deal with gossip, that deal with gluttony, that deal with sins inside of, you know, male and female marriages. Sure. Like these conversations have to be dealt with in a nuanced fashion. Um, and I think sometimes what I see, probably because of, again, the complexity of the subject, people feeling like there's a mountain of information. Um people just don't engage and they, they succumb to pressure. Like a lot of people in the church are going to ask you to have a quick answer, but quick answers are never thoughtful answers. They're just <laughs> quick answers. And so mm. instead of saying, you know, cause again, for me, in my context, there's always a deacon over my shoulder saying, we need to take stronger stances on this and that. Well, yeah. sure. But in the meantime, there's a real person who's being hurt, who has been hurt and who is struggling sitting in the pews of of any church being existing in any community. And we have to kind of, for their sake, we have to deal with it in a, in a, in a calmer fashion. Uh, The second thing I would say, you know, beyond what we've mentioned already, and and I'll just be brief on this one, but, but as far as improvements and ways we could grow, um, one of the things that comes to mind is um, just conversations about identity, right? Like sometimes I think that, um, discipleship in general, this is one area where it's going to become very clear how weak often our discipleship is and our discipleship mm-hmm. processes are. And you say, well, why don't, don't throw me under the bus like that. I'm like, don't worry. I will join you under the bus. Um, because <laughs> even one of my tasks at my church and my new role is to like do better at discipleship, because again, um, we're not seeing people become, uh, Christians in a sense. Um, I would say that a lot of times, in our various complex contexts, we deal a lot with behaviors. Um, and so LGBTQ could be defined as a behavior. We see someone walking the door and there's a man holding another man's hand or vice versa and, and all these things. And we say, well, God must want to deal with that behavior. That's what most noticeable to me. It kind of grosses me out or whatever you come from. Maybe you have a softer belief than that, but, but we say, Hey, this is really abrupt in my face. And so we start to play the Holy Spirit's job and we say, well, that must be the issue that God mm-hmm. wants to deal with. Um, there was a, uh, there's a podcast that I'm going to reference. I know that later on we're going to be talking about resources, but in this podcast, there was a gentleman who interviewed a, a gal who had, um, in her young adult life, walked away from her, you know, we'll call it her gender at birth. You know, she went from female to male, everything just short of surgery. She kind of presented male, dressed male, took on a male name, uh, you know, just kind of moved on with her life. Well, eventually uh, she walked back into church and eventually walked back into feeling at home in her biological gender or biological sex. And, um, and he asked her, he said, Hey, what is it you want people to know when they're dealing with this group of people? And she said, just because it's the first thing you notice doesn't mean it's the thing God's trying to deal with. Hmm. And I think that's Hmm. a powerful truth because again, we walk in and we say, well, this has got to be the sin that God wants me to help them get free from. And I'm like, or maybe they have unforgiveness issues. Maybe they're like any other human being who is a complex tapestry of issues and we just need to let the Holy Spirit lead the conversation. You say, well, does that mean I can never say it? No, but but let's make sure that we're dealing with people as whole people. We're discipling as whole people, that we're not reducing somebody. I would hate it if in every conversation somebody said, yeah, this is my heterosexual friend, Joe. Hmm. I'd be like, man, I have a whole lot of other personality hmm. traits, some good, some bad. But 
but I'm, I'm more than just your heterosexual friend. Yeah. But we do this with, with LGBTQ people. We say, well, I know one gay person. I'm like, well, good for you. Do you know yeah. like what their favorite color is or like what, you know, what they enjoy as a hobby? Do you know some of their struggles? Do you know their family? Do you know where they come from, what they've got going on? Do you know how they felt about faith? You know, and, and these are things that I think, so my, my main challenge is we need to grow in our discipleship because sometimes we do behavior modification and we say, well, I want you to look a certain way, act a certain way. It's hard not to, it's easy to fall into, but we've got to be talking identity level issues and start that from birth to death. Like hmm. when we're in kids church, we're, we're, we're speaking about identity. When we're dealing with teenagers, we're speaking about identity. When we're dealing with adults, we're dealing with identity. Who are you and what do you believe about yourself? Not just you know, what are you doing? Do you swear? Do you not swear? Do you drink? Do you not drink? You know, whatever your culture labels sin or not sin, you know, it's just, and whatever the Bible labels sin or not sin, we want to address these behaviors. But I think an area we could grow in is maybe just that holistic discipleship. I'm going to ask one more question before we jump into the resources um, you would recommend. Is there areas that the church or Christians maybe have been unclear or confusing um, when we begin to, to discuss this, this subject? Yeah. And I would argue that, um, gosh, that, uh, what I tend to find is that most churches go to extremes on this issue because middle grounds are really hard to walk. It's what Jesus did. It's, and it, and it caused some ugly moments where he was mistaken for a sinner where he, where he did have to kind of rub religious people the wrong way. And I think that oftentimes the middle ground is so much harder to walk because it's uncomfortable. Um, I wake up most days on the edge of fear. And, you know, and you say, well, are you skittish? I'm like, no, but, but in a broader sense, I wake up and go, man, I am uncomfortable and I don't like, I like resolution. I like things to be tied up in a bow. I love watching kids movies with my kids because every story <laughs> ends clean. You know, there's a, there's a very cut and dry conflict sure. and then everything resolves and everything's wrapped up and everything's a happy ending. And people aren't that people are just going to be constant sources of, of just like, Hey, this is not solved. This is not resolved. And it, and it internally messes us up because then we're not resolved and we don't get to lay it to rest in a sense. But, um, so, so a lot of times when I find churches that are at their worst is when they go to two extremes on one end, you have a delightful group of saints who love the Lord dearly, who say, we are here to stand on truth. And those saints are, at their most extreme are the ones who, uh, you know, I had a, a situation in our context, um, just kind of in, in Montana where, um, a deacon was real mad that his pastor wouldn't kick a lesbian out of service and, and her partner. And, uh, he took advantage of the one Sunday, the pastor was gone and actually told them like, you're not welcome here again. You know, again, these people are not serving. They're not volunteering. They're not leading. They're just attending a church, hearing the gospel mm. message. And someone said, I'm sorry. And they walked away feeling feeling enlightened, feeling like they had done their job. I stood up for truth. No, what you did was bully somebody who who was made in God's image with the truth. You used it like a club instead of as a source of life. And that's not, that's not a, a feather in our cap. That's not a badge on our chest. That's nothing good. And so there's one extreme. The other extreme is there a church who, who have said, well, this is a complex conversation. It's so complex and does hurt so many people that I'd find it a lot easier if it just didn't have to exist. It kind of goes back to that statement. I said, partially in jest, where I said, man, this is, I wish the Bible could say something else. Well, yeah. I say that as a person who is responsible and trying to really dive into doctrine and make sure that what I believe is what I believe. I, I hold a very high view of scriptural authority, even at the expense of some of my own relationships. And, uh, and I say that I say this is uncomfortable. Well, some people have decided this is too uncomfortable and they just keel over and they're like, well, 
I literally had someone say to me, they said, you know, the Bible said, love my neighbor. And that's the end of it. I said, that's not the end of it. There are so many more <laughs> scriptures. Like, oh my gosh, like that's, that is one scripture. And you took it way out of context and you just decided this was the only thing you needed to know. And I'm like, that's just bad theology. And both sides are guilty of it. But so I would say the church, when it's been unclear, it's because it's sending a mixed message. So half the churches say, man, let's just love, love, love and ignore, they fully ignore like a lot of the theological implications of scripture and the narrative as a whole in the cultural context. And then on the other side, people say, well, I got to go to bed tonight knowing that I stood on the truth and you spit in the face of somebody while doing so, you know, and that's just not cool. You know, that's mm. just not kind. That's just yeah. not Christ-like. And so we have to really guard ourselves against this lack of clarity. Um, and then the third thing I've, I've noticed is once leaders do land on that middle ground, and this has been my personal struggle, um, and I'm, I think I'm getting better, um, but it was hard for a while is, is to walk successfully in the, in the mess, in the middle is really hard. And one of the things I've recognized is once you do land on a place that's both truth filled and love filled, both compassionate, but also committed to scripture. Once you land in that place as a, as a leader, um, being bold without being harsh, being hmm. kind without rolling over, hmm. answering questions when they're asked but understanding the complexities behind those questions. So it, it becomes a lot of like, then you lead well out of your mm. understanding. And that's an area where we're unclear because some days we roll over and some days we are too bold and finding yeah. that line. Can I just encourage you? It's not easy. And it's probably something you're going to do forever. I still have every interaction I've had with this community. I go away going, okay, let's evaluate. Let's see. How did I do? What do I think? What would I do differently next time? But again, if some, if, if I don't engage, who will? You know, that's, yeah, that's kind of, good. if we don't engage, who will? So that's, those are my thoughts there. Good, good word. Good word. So some resources, is there anything that you would recommend maybe if people would like to f explore this subject a little further? Yeah. And I would say, um, luckily, uh, it's just one name. There's a guy named Preston Sprinkle, um, memorable last name, but he is a theologian located in the Northwest of the United States. And he uh, has a podcast. It's called Theology in the Raw. Um, now, granted, um, this podcast is a little bit not for the faint at heart because he's willing to ask pretty tough questions and he'll explore politics and gender and a whole host of other issues. But if you're a podcast person, as I'm assuming maybe by listening to this podcast, you might be. Um, <laughs> but if you're a podcast person, uh, Theology in the Raw, and basically he is willing to engage. He was the podcast I, I referenced earlier. We said I sat down with my friend who walked this journey um, as of right now. And I think for this foreseeable future, I think he has been very well established in his viewpoint on scripture. Um, at least everything I found so far, he's been very uh, traditionally minded in terms of like, here's what the Bible says and we can't get around that. It makes us uncomfortable. But again, the Bible is, you know, a binary system of gender. The Bible is uh, pretty clear that heterosexuality is kind of the norm that God set out. And he'll say those things, but he'll also preach compassion and he'll also walk with people uh, through these struggles. And so he'll have a lot of episodes. He's got like 900 episodes. It's kind of bonkers. But you could walk through and you could scroll all the way down and there's going to be some titles that grab you. Some of them might be very foundational. It says, hey, what, what is this conversation about? Or they might have a new term that you should be aware of. And those are 45 minutes, hour and a half, and, and they're doable. You know, they're bite-sized. Uh, he also released two books. Um, and so if you're more of a book person, I call these, uh, like if I had an, an Old and New Testament on this conversation, obviously, besides the literal the New Testament. Sure. But if I had something that was authoritative about the gender and sexuality conversation, he wrote two books. Uh, one of them uh, is called uh, 
people to be loved, why homosexuality is more than an issue. And in there, he lines out a basic theological understanding of here's what people say when they're pro LGBTQ and are trying to maybe rework the Bible. But here's where we line up with this view. So he goes through theology. He goes through some basic compassion. It's kind of a basic training manual in a sense. It'll help you get acquainted with the conversation and some of the major pieces. Then he wrote a companion book um, that I cannot, gosh, I, oh, it's called Embodied is what it is. It's called Embodied. And basically he walks us through a theology of gender. He says, you've got people in your church, in your family, in your context who are questioning this. What does the Bible have to say? And again, he approaches it with grace, fairness, compassion, and above all, a commitment to a well-researched biblical authority. And uh, and I've loved that about him so far, um, as far as being a, a person who, again, falls under that traditional viewpoint, who we would probably call orthodox. Um, you know, I have found that uh, his stuff's really good. And so one name, Preston Sprinkle, you can go books, you can go podcast, and he's a great resource just to get a, a cursory understanding of the conversation without feeling so darn overwhelmed. It's good. It's good. Joe, it has been a pleasure um, to have you with us today, to learn from you, to hear the passion in your voice um, and your love for God, your love for his word and love for, for people. And uh, will you pray for us today as we close out the podcast? Yeah, I would love to. And I just want to say thanks so much for for letting me on to talk about this subject. I know that I know, again, it goes back to what I've said a dozen times in this podcast, but if someone doesn't, you know, who will? And and, yeah. and we get to do that as a team. We get to do that as leaders in the church. And I, I just am really happy to, uh, yeah, that you're engaging this yourself. And, and that's exciting. So uh, let's let's pray. God, I thank you um, for this moment, God, not just this moment in this podcast today, but but this moment in history, God. Um, this is no different, God, than any other season of history, Lord, where you are active and working through your church. Your Holy Spirit has been here uh, before we got here, and it'll be here long after the church moves past this conversation. And um, we know, God, that you are with us, that uh, when we wake up in the morning and face uncomfortable situations, that the Holy Spirit is there empowering us every step of the way, God. And I pray uh, for each listener tuning in um, and the ministries and context that they represent. God, I pray that they would um, maybe find a new sense of encouragement and boldness um, maybe they would find some new resources, God, that would just um, help their mind kind of wrap around what we've got going on and, and the conversations of today. And most importantly, God, I pray uh, for those we minister to, for those with questions, for those struggling, uh, for those who find themselves on this spectrum and just wonder what God has to say about it. God, I pray that you would help us always keep them in mind and in our sight, uh, that we would do this for the sake of those who need it most, for the sake of image bearers of God. Um, those who are made in your image, Lord, who, who are sons and daughters of you, who need the gospel just like any other person. And we thank you for it in your name. Amen. Amen.